Amen? Amen. You know, we are the church. And we are individually, each and every one of us, a part of the church. What God wants to see us is the body of Christ. Not necessarily specifically new life, but the body of Christ as a whole. And God has us in this place as part of the body, and you individually are what make up that body. And therefore, God has something special, something specific, something just for you, something that God wants to speak to your heart about, something that God wants to use you for, something that God wants to declare through you. There's a group of people that God wants to use you to reach. This is not about our, our you know, what, what nation we're from. This is not about the color of our skin. This is not about ethnicity. This is not about anything other than being a part of the body of Christ, meaning we are part of a family. Amen. And I want to I talk about that today because this is vitally important as we move forward. I, I really do believe as Jesus is ministering in Luke chapter 6, and he's in a very strategic place in the ministry that he is called to in this world, he's also in the example that he's given us, calling you and I, even now, to a very strategic time, a very strategic place in the body of Christ. A strategic time for people that need to decide whether we're going to uh, continue as is or will we step up in the nature and the example that Jesus Christ has given us? Will we do what God has called us to do? You know, we have to decide. You have to decide that. God has told us that. He has told us what he's called us to do. So the question then is, will we do it? Amen, Pastor Mark. Come on, you got to help me preach. I want to share with you today some things, some things that, honestly, some things that will be doctrinal, some things that will be relayed as a teaching, some things that we have got to understand, some things that, again, I think that, again, two specific points that I'm going to point out to you today um, that I think we get completely backwards. And Jesus, it's not, it's not, again, it's not because, well, it's because we're not following the example of Jesus. So I'll, I'll share that with you here in just a moment. But I want to read with you through the scriptures. This scripture seems very, very simple. The deeper, the further, the more we look into it, the more you'll find that there's some deep truths that we need to understand and receive out of what he's declared in these, you know, four or five simple verses where he's just really naming names, calling people out. Jesus does that. He calls people out. And so uh, if you want to follow along, I will put the scriptures on the screen. You can also go to the church app, and inside of the church app, there is a sermon notes. You can go to the sermon notes and follow along, fill in the blanks. The scriptures will be there, and it will also then help you to go to your life group tonight and be able to follow along with your life group as to what we talked about. Amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 6, let me read these verses here to you. And let me start with this. It says in verse 12, it says, in these days, I explained this last week, but let me just recap really quickly. In these days, Jesus is talking about this time after which he's gone into the synagogue or the, in, on the um, uh, Sabbath, and he did some things on the Sabbath. One was in the synagogue, one was out in the field. He, he, he and his disciples took some grains, uh, um, heads of grain, and they rubbed them in their hands to get the grain out, to separate the wheat and the chaff, to be able to eat the grain. 
And the Pharisees said, you guys are cooking on the Sabbath. And so they got mad at Jesus. They called him out. And the next Sabbath, Jesus was in the synagogue and a man with a withered hand was there. And Jesus told the man, you know what? Just reach out your hand, stretch it out. And the man did, and the man was healed. And the religious folk came unglued. They, got, they came unglued because Jesus was doing what religiously was not accepted, but biblically had no problem. It was absolutely biblical for them to do, him to do the things that he did. It was not religiously acceptable. And so Jesus, he very boldly confronted the religious tendencies of the religious leaders and showed them how it was not biblical what you are doing and how Jesus was going to be biblical. And so they hated him for that. And now we're at a turning point in his ministry, a changing point where, again, Jesus is beginning to separate the wheat and the chaff. He's separating those who loved him and those who hated him. And there were many, many who loved Jesus. And there were many, many who hated him. And, he, and again, many of those hated him because of so many that loved him. We're going to talk about that more in the weeks to come. But right now, these are the days. So the, the tide is shifting and Jesus is starting to be despised by the religious leaders, the, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes. And it's in those days, what did Jesus do? He knows there's this change and transition that's happening in the ministry. And so he went out to the mountain to pray. What a novel idea. You got a big decision. You got some stuff going on. You got some transitions in your life. Follow Jesus' example. He took the night in prayer. Many of us, we can't hardly, you know, like pray through a stoplight. Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to pray to God because he had a big decision to make. And when day came, he knew what to do. He called his disciples, and he chose from them 12. He looked out amongst all the disciples that were there. There literally could have been hundreds. I couldn't figure out exactly, but there could have been hundreds, even thousands that were following his disciples, Jesus, at this point. And Jesus looks out at these that are called, these who are coming, these who are following him, and, they're, and, he, and he's, these disciples, and he looks out, and he calls from them 12, whom he named apostles. And this is the shift in ministry that's happening right here. And he says in verse 14, who's he call? He calls Simon, who's named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Tom, or Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, that, Lord, there is power in your word. And I thank you, Lord, that therefore power has been released in this place today. I pray today, Lord God, that the words that have gone forth would not be the words from a book, but words from the throne. Words that would be spoken from God straight unto our hearts. I pray that we would open up our hearts and that from one side to the other, from the front to the back, you would speak individually, uniquely to each and every life that's here as we give you thanks and praise for the power of your word. Let that power transform our lives and make us Lord individually and corporately more like you thank you for that in Jesus name amen, amen. so I started last week and this will I, I mean I try to weave this through each and every one of the points that I make with you 
Started last week how Jesus was in this transitional shift of ministry, and he was, up to this point, everybody that he was ministering to were in this come and see ministry. Come see, come see. People were coming in large groves of people coming out to see Jesus. I mean, think about it. Thousands were coming to see Jesus when these towns of Nazareth and these little towns only had maybe 50 people. I mean, these are huge crowds. Listen, you know, one of the reasons why the Pharisees didn't like him is because the Pharisees and scribes, none of them could grow a crowd like that. And he's got these huge crowds that are coming, and he knows that there's this shift. These people are coming to see, and Jesus comes down, and Jesus speaks out, and he says, I want you guys, I'm calling you out, and I'm calling you to come, and I'm calling you to go transition from this come and see ministry to a go and die ministry. Listen, you know what, when, when, there's, there's no way that we can get around when, we dis, when Jesus calls us and sets us out from this dying to ourself. You know, it, it will always be from this come and see ministry. And many of you, all of you are here at least at one point or another because you came to see. Not me, not, please don't take that, I'm not, anybody could be standing up here as long as the power of God and the anointing of God is there to preach and to teach. Then you know what, you're going to receive from the Lord. It's not my touch, it's the Holy Spirit touch that moves in you and ministers to you. And therefore you come. And you come because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. But there's a point where when the Holy Spirit starts to fill you and indwell in you, that you transition from this come and see to a go and die ministry. And so we, we talked about that, and then looking at, in that, with that in your mindset, looking at who Jesus picked and why he picked them, starting to really break this down, not, not in a, I mean, individually and in a corporate setting as to who these guys are, but why did he pick who he picked, and who is it that he picked, and what did he want those that he picked and chose, why was it that God chose them, what can we learn from this? And this really is a, a lesson in leadership. And I, and I thought about, well, what, what, would I do this here or would I do this with leadership? You know what? You're all called to leadership. There's not one of you in here, in Christ, that's not called to a place of leadership. And if nothing else, you're called to lead yourself. Start with that. I talked about that last week. Start with that. Start leading yourself. Lead yourself in the morning to get up and make your bed. All right, clean your car. Wash your shirt. But you're all called to a place of leadership. And so moving into that, looking at the examples that we can, we can dig into and find from the lives and from the people that Jesus chose, we, there's a couple of things that we see right off the bat. One is that we have to start with prayer, humbly praying so that we can proceed boldly. If you don't humble yourself before God and pray and hear from him and know what God has called you to do, you will never be able to proceed boldly. You will proceed with intimidation. You will proceed with some kind of, you know, wonder is this really what I'm supposed to be doing is this really what I'm supposed to be going is this really what you want God and we will listen you'll never follow through and do what God's called you to do because what God has called you to do is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done and you won't be able to do it on your own and if you're just trying to do it on your own you will fail because you can't do it on your own you need his strength you need his help you need the holy spirit power you need the anointing you need god to do what god has called you to do so when we humbly pray we hear from him and then we can proceed and when the difficult times go uh, happen and they will we can say you know what okay this is hard but God is with me you know what what he calls me to he provides for me Amen. and he will 
and he will. We talked about number two was what Jesus did. First thing he did was he called the men. Now again, I'm not being chauvinistic. I'm just being, you know, realistic here. You read through the scriptures, he chose men in this position of leadership. He went after the men first. Again, not an exclusion to the women. Please don't go there with me. In fact, go and listen to the sermon from last week. I think you'll understand better what I'm talking about or what I'm saying. But the first thing that Jesus did is he went after the men. He called the men into this place of leadership. And there's some very profound, very realistic reasons why he did that. And so, again, this is what he did. Next thing that we talked about is, is uh, oftentimes your past results will be the revelation or the revealer of what our future performance will be. You want to know what somebody's going to do? Best, the best way that you can find out what somebody's going to do is to look at what they've done. And that's, again, it's not always that way. People have the opportunity to change, and I'm going to challenge you with that. Again, I did it last week, and I'll challenge you with it again today. But your past results, if you haven't been faithful, just because I give you a position in the church doesn't mean now all of a sudden you're going to be faithful. Okay, if you're flaky before, you're going to be flaky in that leadership place. Okay, so, so if, you want to, if you want to make a change, start right now. Because right now, at some point in your life, right now is going to be a point of your past. Amen. So start right now to be a person of integrity, of character, of faithfulness. Start to be who you say you are. Do what you say you will do. Be somebody that people can count on, that you are faithful, that you're a servant, that you're that which God has called you to be. Because six months from now, this is going to be the past that people will look at. Yeah, I mean, I'll, you know, we'll talk more about this, but you know, you you can't expect to think an employer is going to want to give you a job if they look back over your resume and see that you've had fifteen jobs in the past four years. Okay, they're going to look at that and go, uh, I don't know, man. You you got all the skills in the world, but your track record does not show faithfulness. Amen? Amen. So, talked about that all last week. I know those, some of those didn't go over as well as I was hoping, but as I said, look at you, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Amen. Now, I want to talk about two things today that, that, quite honestly, I think as a church, we get this backwards. We, we don't do this the way that God has called us. We do it the opposite way, oftentimes not out of anything other than probably just um, ignorance. And so what we see in Jesus here, when you're looking at what he's doing, Jesus, he, he trained the called. He did not call the trained. Okay, he, he, Jesus, it's interesting. Jesus, Jesus went and he called his leaders. Amen? I mean, he did. That's what he did. He, Jesus called leaders. Jesus called people out. Jesus called and spoke to people. You know what he didn't do? He didn't form a committee to see who the next leader should be. He didn't take nominations. He didn't put out, you know, a, a tag in for a congregational vote over who should be in and who should be out. You know what Jesus did? He didn't ask everybody. You know what he did? He went and talked to the Father. He went and got a word from the Father. And when Jesus came down the hill, he didn't have to take a vote. He just called people out. 
He called those out. Jesus called those into ministry. And Jesus still calls people into ministry. Jesus still calls people to do what God has called us to do. He has called you. You have been called, each and every one of us. If you are born again, you have been called. He has called you by name. The by, look, I just challenge, go into your concordance and look up that name. Just put that word called in there. And look at all the scriptures that pop up about how you have been called. You have been called by name. You have been called for a purpose. You have been set apart and called for a destiny that God has for you. And you have been called to lead. You have been called to this. You've been, call, you've been called. And in, and in Acts chapter 20, it tells us it's the Holy Spirit who chooses those who will lead, who places that calling. He's the one who anoints the overseers. God does that. That's why I unapologetically can stand up here as your leader, your pastor, and say, you know what, I don't, I don't know why I'm here. I just know I am, and that God has appointed me, and therefore, I'm not giving it up until God appoints somebody else. It's not. And all the imperfections, I don't know why God chose me. I don't. But he did. And I'm not going to be apologetic about that. And neither should you. Neither should any one of you. God is the one who calls leaders. God is the one who calls people. It's Jesus who calls out leaders. It's through the indwelling empowerment that the Holy Spirit calls us. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus took those who were called, and that's who he trained. He, he trained these guys. So what, what does that mean to us? That means we recognize the call on your life and want to train people into leadership. Train you to do what it is that God has called you to do. Called you to lead in. God wants you to do that. And each and every one of you, you have a calling. God has called you by name. God has a purpose and a plan for you. As I said last week in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, it says that you are God's workmanship and you are created in Christ to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. That means that you have a plan and a purpose. And if you're going to wander around aimlessly in the world, you're going to find that that calling will never be realized and you will just keep wandering your way to hell. When God wants to set you apart, he's called you by name, he's called you unto salvation and he has called you unto good works. Now, again, that calling is one of those things and places where people struggle. Well, what has God called me to? For me, I, when I got saved, I knew what God had called me to. Mine became so obvious to me. It was something that was just so plain to me. It was so concrete in me. I, it took years and years to develop. I mean, a way more years than what I thought. But God called me to pastor people. He called me to preach the Bible. And he called me to raise up sons. That's what God called me to do. And so since that time, that's what I have been doing. And again, most of that time was not, or, or much of that time, now it's probably most of the time has been in ministry, full-time ministry. But before that, it was years and years while I was working a job, while I was doing other things. And I still, this is what I did. This is where I was at. I was just ready to preach the Bible. Listen, I, when I went to church, every single Sunday when I went to church, Joni will tell you this, that every single Sunday when I went to church, I had a message ready. So if my pastor had fell over with a heart attack and they came and took him out on a stretcher, I was ready. Don't you be hoping that. 
Now, I also know that that's not how everybody finds and, and, and experiences the call of God for their life. So for some of you, it may come while you're reading the Bible. Some of you may just be reading along and something or somebody, it just comes off the page at you. It's like, a, it's like a Holy Ghost highlighter that just like, whoa, that's it. There it is. I'm supposed to do this. That's what I want to do. This is what God, this is now my life verse. This is what I want to do. This is what God's called me to. This is awesome. I'm going to give my life to this. Now, and maybe you're reading along and there's someone in the Bible and it's like, man, that is awesome. The way that person lived by faith, I want to do that. This is what I'm called to do. I want to do and reach out the way they do. This is my call. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to give my life to. I can't not do this. Okay, so some of you, that's the Holy Spirit revealing the call of God on your life. And he'll do that through the written word. He also, and I think for most people, it comes by trial and error. It comes by trying stuff. It, a lot of people don't want to try stuff in the church because the church, because so many people are afraid to step up and so many people are still just going to stay a part of the come and see ministry that we have, we have such a need for workers in the church that when somebody volunteers, we kind of lock them in for life. <laughs> so nobody wants to volunteer for anything because they don't know if that's what they really want to do for the rest of their life. What if we had a, a, a like large, what, rather, what if rather than the 15% that's ministering to the 85%, we had the 85% that was ministering to the 15%, and then everybody could have the freedom to say, you know what, I think I want to try children's ministry. And then find out a couple weeks later, you know what, I am no good at children's ministry. <laughs> Why should that not be Okay. Why should it not be okay for me? You know what, Pastor? I think I want to try, I want to be a greeter. Why should it be a problem for me as the pastor to walk up and say, hey, you know what? You're no good at greeting. You're not friendly. You're kind of scary. <laughs> but why should that not be okay? So, because what happens is rather than going to the next statement that says, let's try putting you over here, people just get offended. Oh, how dare him say I'm not a good greeter. I love these stupid people that are coming in the doors. Because <laughs> well, again, we're just, we're, 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 we're not allowing ourselves to be fitted into what it is that God has called us to do. And so we're just doing whatever they can train us to do. And so many people just, you know what, I'm not any good at it. What if we could just keep doing that? And by trial and error, you finally got to this place where maybe for some of you, you know what, you're at a point right now where you're like, I don't even like kids. But you know what, I'll try it. You know, I mean, like, you scare children. But I want to try it and find out that you're a kid magnet. You find out that the kids absolutely love your scary look. You find out that the kids just absolutely are drawn to you. They can sense something in you. And you find, whoa, I love this. 
this is amazing. I've never felt the kind of life that I feel right now. Right here in the middle of all these kids all around me, I've never been so loved as I feel right now. This is life-giving. This is life-changing. I want to do this. Some of you may find that this is the area where God blesses those around you and blesses you because you're trying things by trial and error. Also, for some of you, you may find, you may realize God's calling just because, you know what, there's just something in you that's like in your gut, there's this have to. I just have to do this. I have to reach out and minister to abuse victims. I have to reach out to the prison. I have to reach out. I can't help it. I've got to reach out to those that, are, that have been through a divorce. I've got to reach out and help stepchildren. I've got to reach out and help single moms. I've got to reach out and help kids. I've got to help men learn to be fathers. There's just something in you that says, I have to do this. And right there, man, it's in your gut. It's there from God. And it's God saying, do this. It's the beginning of the call that God is releasing in your life. And it starts with passion. What are you passionate about? Listen, and, and again, this is that thing. Let me clarify. This is that thing. There's a lot of things that we're passionate about in life. You know, there's this ebb and flow of things we're passionate about, things we want, things we like, things we don't like, things we do, things we don't. I mean, we have this whole thing going back and forth of what we want to do, and our enthusiasm is hot and cold, but this thing, it just stays here. I can't get rid of it. It's a passion that I have, and I can't stop. That's God. He's placing that in you. I've been asked this question many, many times, and you've probably asked it. But how do I know if I'm called to something? Well, one, you are called to something. But how do I know what I'm called to? And oftentimes that will be realized by this inborn desire. There's just something, this inborn desire that's in your heart. That's why, that's why it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, don't lead because you're compelled to lead. Don't, don't answer the call on your life because you're compelled to answer the call in your life. Lead because you desire it. Lead because you can't help it. You want to do this. You know what, I, it doesn't matter, honestly, I, it doesn't matter where I'm at. It didn't matter if one of you was up here and I was sitting there. I, I would want to be leading somewhere, doing something, man, because I just can't help it. God has given me a desire. I don't even think I'm good at it. But I can't help it. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul said, if, if anyone desires the office of overseer, listen, he says, it is a noble thing they desire. Amen. Notice that there's desire that's there. I, uh, I had this conversation. There was a couple that came in and got saved, and I was talking then with the wife, and, and they were, they're new Christians, and they, they were probably like so many of us, unsure of what God was calling them to. You know, have you ever felt that way? God, what are you calling me to? Sometimes even getting jealous. Why does everyone else know what they're called to? Come into church and look around. Why does everybody else know what they're supposed to be doing? But I'm just struggling with this. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. What am I called to do? And that's kind of where they were at. 
And they're like, you know what? I don't know what God wants me to do. I know you look at these new decisions in my life since I became a Christian. I got all these new things that I'm trying to deal with and trying to walk through. And it's wonderful and it's amazing. But I'm not sure what to do. And there was this place where it was almost like in this little bit of panic. They said, what am I supposed to do? Come on, if you're a life group leader, you've heard people say that to you. And this, my response back is, is, was this. Again, he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Stop worrying about what you're called to. Honestly, first worry about God. Seek God first. Find yourself delighting yourself in him. Find yourself in a place where you're passionate about him. Listen, go for it. The Bible says if you delight yourself in the Lord, that he will give you the desires of your heart. You want to know what the desires of your heart are? Then begin to delight yourself in the Lord. I said, are you delighting yourself in the Lord? And they said, man, yes. We're reading the Bible. We're doing devotions together. We're just going through this time in our life where God is speaking to our heart. We're saying no to sin and yes to God. He's just calling us out to these crazy things and life has just radically been changed and it's just the most amazing thing. I open my Bible and it's almost like I hear God speaking to me. It's like, great, that's awesome. And then they came back and said, again, she said, well, but what do I do? with almost a place of frustration, what do I do? And church, if you have that question, what do I do? Okay, this is the answer for you. Do whatever you please. Do whatever you please. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, then God's gonna give you his will and your will is gonna become his will and you're gonna begin to do what God has given you the call to do and you're gonna do something that's gonna please him because you're delighting yourself in the Lord and when you begin to do that, God gives you his heart. He gives you his desires. He gives you his want to and all of a sudden you're doing what God wants you to do. Why? Because you sought after the, 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 the plan, desire of your heart? No, because you begin to delight yourself in the Lord. Augustine said this, love God and do whatever you please. So what do you like to do? Well, this person said, well, I, I, I like to serve people. We love people. We love to, we're outgoing. We love to um, help people and welcome people and, you know, hospitality. We love people to come in our home and to be a part of things in their home and getting together with people. We just love that stuff. So, well, so someday you'd like to be a life group leader then. Yeah, that would them their eyes lit. That would be awesome. That'd be wonderful. I know we're not ready yet, but what can we? So get yourself involved in a life group and start plugging yourself in. Get yourself involved in what's happening around you and watch what happens. Do you want to do that? Yeah. Does that sound like fun to you? Yes. And then the question came. But how do I know if that's God's will or my will? How do I know? And listen, church, if you're enjoying the Lord, if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, his will becomes your will. And then he will be glorified, you will be satisfied, people will be helped, and everybody wins. That's called ministry. It's what he wants. It's more about our heart enjoying the Lord 
And then he gives us the want to do what he has called us to do. And the scripture tell us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Why do we spend all of our time seeking all these other things? Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Look, church, you know what? I absolutely love my job. I love my job. I don't feel like I work because I love what I do. I don't, I don't, there's not a day I get up and have to do anything. I get to do the things that I do. And I tell people that a lot. I love, above all things, I love to preach. I love to teach the Bible. I love to get into it and to dig into it. And there are a lot of things in my life that have come and gone. A lot of things that I liked and didn't like. I mean, I used to love to play softball, but I just, you know what, I could care less. I used to love to watch sports. I could care less about it. I used to love to ski. I could really care less about it. A lot of things that come and a lot of things that go, hobbies and different things that come. But you know what? Studying the Bible, teaching the Bible, preaching the Bible, my whole life, ever since I got saved at the age of 27, I've stayed fired up for that. Whether I was up here every weekend or not, it really, honestly, I, I would hate to see anything change because I get to study, to learn, to read, to come to this understanding. And, and again, I mean, people ask, how do you study that much? It's easy. I love it. I love it. Now, I say that with this in mind. I also know that there are a lot of jobs that it's like, I don't like it. I know that there are a lot of you that have jobs and you're like, no, that's fine for you to say, but I hate my job. And I do understand. After I got saved, I spent 12 years working in a business called Runyon Marble. My brother and I opened up this cultured marble shop and we had our own business. Whoa. found out when I opened up my own business that I did not get a day off. I didn't get to go on vacations. And I hated getting up every morning to go to this job because it was dirt. It was in Arizona. You couldn't have the, any air blowing in the shop because it would blow dust and, and, and it was 120 degrees. It was dirty. It was dusty. It stunk. Ice ended up stinking. Everything about me was dirty and grungy and I just don't like that. And so I hated every day getting up and going to this stupid job. And plus, I had to work with my brother every day. Oh, man. That, that was almost like going to, you know, have a meeting with the tormentor every day. We just didn't, we just didn't at these points see eye to eye on well, anything. And he was my older brother. Yeah, he was the older brother. I was the smarter brother. <laughs> Just kidding. But I hated going. And for 12 years, I would sit there working all day long, wanting to be at the church, doing what I really felt called to do. 
and God kept me there, and God didn't release me from that, and God had me there, and it was during those 12 years and all those times that I wanted to quit almost daily, that I said, no, I'm going to see this through. God will release me when the time is right. God will take me out of this when the time is right for God to do that, and if he never does, I will do this thankfully. I won't like it, but I'm going to do this, and I learned so much. You know what? God had to get some unfaithfulness out of me before he put me into the ministry. God had to conform some things in me before he took me to where he wanted me to be. God had to do some things in showing, you know, a a real place of, of being faithful in me. And if it wasn't for all those days at Runyon Marble, it would not be there today. I probably, honestly, I wouldn't still be here today. Because I would have cut tail and run when some of the troubles and trials of ministry happened. But it was during that time that God was working in me, conforming me to the image that he wanted me to be for the sake of the ministry. For your sake. He loved you that much. And no matter where you are, you may be working in a job you hate. Don't Just jump from one to the next to the next. See it through. See through to completion. Show yourself faithful. Show yourself faithful to do what God has called you to do. Don't you just bail out because it gets hard. You hang in there because it got hard. And you ask God to lead you. And you ask God to help you. And you ask God to do what he's doing in you. Because that's what oftentimes he's doing in the midst of that. But I used to leave Runyon Marble, this job I hated, and I would not even, without even going home, I would drive right over to the church. And I got to do what I wanted to do, what I loved to do. I would go and I'd spend hours doing children's ministry stuff. Every single day I would go. And it was almost like two jobs, but I loved going there. Look, maybe God has called you to a hard job, a difficult place. But when it comes to ministry, particularly when you're volunteering in ministry, this is a great opportunity for you to realize his yoke is easy, his burden is light. I want to do something I like. I want to do something I'm good at. I want to do something that helps people. I want to do something that glorifies God. And I get to pick what that something is. You get to work in that area. That's it. And what Jesus did is Jesus trained the called. These 12 guys that he called, they were all a part of his ministry already. He didn't reach outside of that. He came to this place where they were, and he called them. These guys were already serving in the ministry. They had already shown themselves faithful in the ministry. They had already shown themselves submitted in the ministry. They were already following Jesus. They were already responding to Jesus. They had already acknowledged that Jesus is the authority in my life. What Jesus says, that I'm going to do. And what did Jesus do? He started training them. If you read through in Mark chapter 7, it talks about how this is where he started to send them out. Jesus started to pull these guys together and started to do life with them. He started to teach them through the scriptures and how to, how to you know, rightly divide the word. He taught them how to go through the scriptures and to read the scriptures. And then he sent them out and he called them out to go do things that they hadn't done before. He he told him to go out and I want you to go casting out demons and I want you to go heal the sick and I want you to go out there and do some of these great and mighty exploits that I have called you to do and I sent you out to go do that. I'm gonna send you guys and call you to go out there and get your feet wet but I want you to know that they're gonna kill you because of it. So it's time to transition from come and see to go and die. 
Jesus, he doesn't, he, Jesus, what he did not do, he, he did not call the trained. And this is one of the things that I think in churches today that we sometimes miss. Jesus, you know, if you noticed, he didn't, I, you know, he, he didn't go back to the Nazareth school of scribery and look for the highest, best trained scribe he could. He didn't, he didn't go to the temple and find out where they were training the priests and go find where the best Pharisee of Pharisees is. Where is, the, where is that hot up-and-comer? Where is that one who just really thrives in youth ministry? Where is the best of the best? Where is the guy that's won the most Pharisees of the month? That's the guy I want. That's who we're after today. I want this guy. No, he didn't do that. And church, hear me. The reason is because you can't be, you can be trained, but you still may not be called. You can train yourself in something that you're not called to do. You can go to school and you can get all the degrees, you can get all the credentials, you can get all the stuff you want, you can get all of these things that the school can give you, but if you do not have the call of God for that purpose, then you're not going to have the courage and you're not going to have the perseverance to see things through in that first month even when things get really difficult. It takes a call. And again, I'm not against training. I am not against Bible school. I'm not against seminary. I think learning is extremely important for us. Training people is good, but listen, calling precedes training. We need to be trained in what we're called to do. So, each and every one of you are called. What has God burdened you for? What has God called you for? What has God given you as a burden? And if you know that, do you want to do it? I think the bigger question is, will you do it? Come on, we got to get over some of our pride, some of our false humility that says, oh, I can't do that, and start doing what God's called you to do. There are some of you that are sitting in the pew. Listen, there are miracles sitting in the pew here today. There are ministries sitting here in these chairs. There are life-changing opportunities sitting right here. There are multitudes of people coming to Christ because of you sitting right here. Will you do what God has called you to do? Because if you will, great. We will help you. Wherever and whatever. If it's here in the church, if it's at your place of business, if it's out on the streets, we will help you. We will help you in, in those places of training you up and helping you and supporting you to be able to go out and to do what it is that God wants you to do. But church, see this. People can help train, but only God can call you. Only God can do that. Listen, only God... If, if, if you don't know what it is that God's called you to do, I can't call you to that. There are a lot of places and a lot of ministries that think they can tell you what you're called to do. I can't do that. That's not my job. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not Jesus. I can't tell you what you're called to do. All I can do is help train you and help you to walk in the calling that God has placed on your life. You need to know what that is. You need to find that. But so many people, you need to be careful about some things. Listen, don't think, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go out and get a degree in ministry. I'm just going to go out and do it. Listen, before you do that, first, do ministry. 
Get involved. Plug in, do something. Volunteer, check it out. Let us help to train you. Let us find a slot that you can be developed. Let us find some things that you like and some things that you don't like. That's okay. We, we, we should be okay with that. There are some of you that God did not make you for children's ministry. God did not make you for youth ministry. There are some of you that God made you for prison ministry. <laughs> but God made you for a purpose and a plan to reach out and to do what he's called you to do. We want to help you. But it may not, what you're thinking, it may not be your thing. So I read across this statistic the other day, and I thought it was a, a report that came out. And the report said this. Statistically, 75% of those who graduate from Bible school and seminary get started in ministry. And within five years, 75% of them have left the ministry never to come back. 75%. That means they spent years training for something that they're not going to do. Why? Listen, church, it's because of this. It's because there is a big difference between calling the trained into ministry and training those who are called for ministry. Huge difference. So I want you to know that if you are a believer, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, God has spoken to you. He has called you by name. You are here. You're, you're saved because Jesus called you. And now he is calling you out. And he wants you. His call is on your life. He has something for you to do. He wants you to step out and begin to do what he's called you to do. So do you know what you're called to do? Listen, if not, there's no condemnation in that. If not... That's why I'm teaching this. I want you to have this. I want you to understand some of this so that you can go out and, and go through these things. Because God has a plan and purpose. God has life and life more abundantly for you. Okay, the last point, um, and I'll quickly go through this, and I went through the, I'm gonna share this with you because this is like something that I hear people say and it bugs me I, I, I hate it when people, you know, come and go from the church and, they, what, and one of the things they'll say is that, well, I just didn't have anything in common with them. It's like, that's a negative? I mean, obviously, then, well, I, always, I, I wanna say, well, then give your heart to Jesus and you'll have something in common. <laughs> But I realize that sometimes that's what we're looking for, is a club, not a church. And I want, I want you to know, listen, weird teams, I've called this number five, weird teams are the best teams. Amen. Come on, everybody on a weird team said amen. Yes. Weird teams are the best for a number of reasons. One, because weird teams are fun. Yes. And two, weird teams complement each other. Okay, again, we, we, we get this sometimes backwards. And I think this is one of the, the biggest weaknesses in leadership theory. And again, I told you, I love to read John, I don't love to, I like to read John Maxwell books. I don't understand a lot of it. I mean, it just kind of goes over my head. I, I mean, I try. I just not necessarily my thing. I, 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 I subscribe to different leadership groups and I get, 
um, emails and I, and I read through the articles and I read through that stuff and, and I, I learn stuff and I do, I love that stuff. But listen, nothing, church, nothing, nothing, nothing compares to the Bible and the words of Jesus. He's the greatest leader ever. Look at the organization that he started, the church, uh, 2,000 plus years ago, is still in existence, still worldwide with billions of members. There's never been a leader better than Jesus. So we look to Jesus and we look to the Bible. That's where we should really be going to learn. Otherwise, we're getting other people's opinions about what they know about what it is that Jesus has told us. Go to the source. Now again, I'm not, there's some great leadership books out there and later thing, please, I understand that. But there's a point in some of the things that I've read that I think is backwards from what Jesus is teaching. So let me ask you this question. We all have weaknesses, Right? Every one of us. We all have weaknesses. I have plenty of them. Probably, in some respects, leadership is one of my weaknesses. I don't, just don't enjoy that like I enjoy some of the other things. But if you have weaknesses, should you work on those weaknesses? Whether it's in ministry or business, should you work on those weaknesses? Or should you find people who are strong in the area that you're weak? And surround yourself with them. Come on, listen, if, if you're disorganized, surround yourself with people that are organized in the ministry. Surround yourself with people that have different gifts in the ministry. But often we think that, well, there's this weakness here and I've got to cover up my weakness so we don't want anybody to know that I'm weak in this area. I don't want anybody to know that I have deficiencies in this area so I need to cover it up until I can fix it. And, and it doesn't matter, listen, I can, I can, there's places in myself, I, you know, I've got some tremendous weaknesses, and I can try and try and try and try, but you know that even after all the trying, 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 learning, 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 do you know what? There's still weaknesses. There's still weaknesses. Now again, I can improve, but what we see in this, you know, prevailing wisdom is that we work on, our, on, that, on our, our weaknesses. And I think we do to an extent. Please don't take this out of context. I think we do, and I, I want us to do that. But the better thing we can do is find some people and surround yourself with some people who are better at some things than you are, which means this. Get a weird group of people, a team around you. Find a group of people that are just weird and that don't like the same things you like. Because listen to me, if everybody likes the same thing and everybody just believes the exact same thing and everybody's watching the same YouTube videos and everybody's listening to all the same music and everybody's wearing all the same clothes and everybody talks with the same vocabulary and it's the same everything, everything, everything. Listen, you're probably involved in a cult. Look, God's not trying, in the unsaved world, God's not trying to shine his light down into the unsaved world. God's not trying to take a bunch of individuals and to bring them into his kingdom so that they can all become sheep. Look the same, do the same, bah. Okay, he does, you know what? He doesn't have to do that. You know why? Because we're already sheep. 
You know what? We're already sheep. And whether you like it or not, in God's eyes, we're all the same. We are all sinners separated from God in need of a shepherd, in need of a savior. That's where all of us are. And when God shines his light into the darkness and brings salvation to our heart, forgiving us of our sins, translating us into the kingdom of his grace and mercy, God takes us. He Doesn't he say this? Doesn't the scripture say, come unto me just as you are? That means you don't have to change. You don't have to become like this. You don't have to look like Pastor Mark. You don't have to talk this way or talk that way. You don't have to do this. Or do. Come unto me just as you are. Why? Because I want to uniquely fit you into this place in the kingdom where you can do exactly what I've called you to do, not because you're the same as everyone else, but because you're different from everybody else. Not because you're, 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 you're conducive to the change that the people want you to make, but because you're weird and unique and different and God wants to use you in that. Doesn't, that, doesn't the Bible tell us that, you know what, if you're an ear, don't try to be a nose. Wouldn't that be weird to go to, the, you know, to a, a, a plastic surgeon and say, hey, I, I really like to have a nose job. I'd like you to make it look like my ear. <laughs> that would be weird. In a, in a not good, weird way. <laughs> you wouldn't do that because your, your ear isn't intended to do what the nose does. But if you try to make the nose do what the ear does, you're going to end up wacky and out of place. God has called you and he has set you apart and he wants to use you individually as you are and he wants you to come to him just as you are and to come and let him create in you the call of God that will rightly fit you individually just the way you are with all your strengths and all your weaknesses and like a puzzle just to come and fit you together. But if we think that we got to come in and everybody's got to, you know, be the same, it just doesn't work. Jesus had a weird team. I've been studying through these guys. These guys are weird. Think about the team that Jesus had. John was a young guy. He was just a, he was, he was a young guy, probably even a teen. Peter, some of the other guys, they were older. John, he was, apparently, John was single. Some of the other guys were married. Some of them had kids. Hey, this is a weird team of people. Most of the guys were, were country boys. Some of them were city folk, like Judas. Judas did not do justice to city folk. Hey, it, it was all these guys on the same team. One of the guys was a zealot. One of the guys was a tax collector. I mean, come on. Think how weird this is. One of, the, one of the guy's names was Simon the Zealot. I wonder what he did. What, I mean, he was a zealot, which meant this. He hated the Roman government because it was ruling over God's people. He was this punk rock kind of anarchist. I bet if, if, if Simon would have been in the 80s, he'd have been a Fagazi fan. He'd have been this anarchist punk rocker kind of guy that had this anarchist sleeve uh, emblem on his shirt, forming his own militia. You know, he was going to be out there. Hated the government. And then on the same team, you've got Matthew, who works for the Roman government. He was a tax collector. He, he worked for them. He was, you know what Matthew did? Matthew ripped off God's people. Matthew was the reason Simon was a zealot. 
So think about the weirdness of these guys. You got this anti-government anarchist guy coming together with the IRS auditor. And they're forming this team. One guy's got a gun. One guy's got a tie and clipboard. But God brings them together on the same weird team. Church, this is weird. Some of these guys are fishermen. You got a zealot. You got a tax collector. Four guys, we don't even know what they did. Who knows what kind of living they were making. Some of them are brothers. Some of them aren't. It's still just a funky team. But church, I want you to see this. It works because they're different. It's because of that. And they complemented one another in their strengths and in their weaknesses. Some of those guys had business experience. They'd run their own business. Some of them had some political experience. Some of them knew how to work with the government. They knew how the government worked. Some of them had leadership experience. Some of them had social networks that the other guys didn't have. Some of them had contacts that the other guys didn't have. And God brought them all together. And just so you know this, I want you to know this. The best teams are the weird teams. Okay, the weird teams. Because of this, when Jesus is the center, you're always going to get a weird team. You're always going to do that. Because this, if you're Christ-oriented and not cause-oriented, you get community and not affinity. Okay, if you're cause-oriented, you're going to get affinity which means you're all going to be coming together because everybody feels the same way about everything. Everybody comes together and we just all agree. And so that's why we come together because we all agree. Look, when you're Christ-oriented, people who are, you're going to find people are going to disagree on a whole lot of things. I've told you this before. I don't agree with a lot of you. And I told you this before. You should not agree with everything I say. I'm not Jesus and neither are you. And therefore, we're going to have some places and things that we disagree on. And we should because that's community. That's what community does. But too often in the church, we call what actually is supposed to be community is really actually more like affinity. We, we call the church a church, but oftentimes it's more like a club where everybody just hangs out focusing around you know, some common thing that we all like. That's affinity. Community is people who are totally unlike me, who don't have much in common with me, who come together because we're Christ-centered. And when it's all about Jesus, you'll find that Jesus, if Jesus be lifted up, he draws all men unto himself. That when Jesus is lifted up and we're being drawn to Jesus, that we're going to love Jesus more. And the more we love Jesus, the more we're going to love the people that are being drawn with us alongside. That you're going to find that you're going to fall in love with people. And the Bible talks about that. How we in the church, we are supposed to love one another. God called us to draw closer and closer together, to become a weird team, to become a family. Your, your family, look at, you, your family are it, filled with weirdos. Come on, you just had Thanksgiving. You know, I do. We're all weird. It's different. Everybody is. But church, that's what's so cool about Christianity. That's what's so cool about it all. Think about this. You guys understand this. If you're a part of a life group, you know this. If you're in a life group, you're like, man, you know, or, or some other Christian circle that you're in, you're like, you go to a Bible study or something, it's like, I would never pick these people as my friends. 
It's like, I would never pick these people. I don't have anything in common with them. Come on, how many of you in your life, I've got nothing in common with these people. I mean, two legs and we walk upright. That's about it. There is nothing else that we're in common. We got nothing in common. But you know what? They love Jesus. And I love Jesus. And because of that, we're just going to come together. And because of that, I love them. It's a place where I just can't help it. Because together we make each other better. Together life is better. Together we do things so much better. Together we sharpen each other. We become sanctified together. We walk together. We do life together. So praise God for diverse, weird, collective teams from different kinds of people. I hope that helps somebody. Because I want you to look around at the team we have here. Come on, it's weird. In this group here, even right here today, we have artists. We have geeks. There's computer nerds here. Everybody looks back at the computer. Why are you ducking, Monty? (laughs) There's gamers that are here. There's accountants. There's realtors. There's bikers. There's retirees. There's military personnel. There's mechanics. There's nurses. There's medical personnel. There's construction workers. And on and on and on. And each and every one of you are vital. You are necessary. You are important. You are weird. Hey, weird teams are the best teams. So next time you feel like, man, I just don't fit in, say, praise God. I have a feeling Matthew felt that quite a few times. Worship team, come on back up, would you please? You see, we, we, I bring this all up because we see this with Jesus. We see this with what he's doing as we look through these scriptures and dig in a little deeper than just the surface of what's being just written right there. We, we dig into that and we can see that this is what Jesus does. This is what he did right here. I mean, he puts together this weird team of people. Again, I I challenge you, go through and study these 12 guys he called. And you're going to find out, the more you study that, the more you get into that, the more deep you dive into it, you're going to find out, these guys should never have been together. Most, many of them were competitors with each other. They just shouldn't have been coming. But this is what Jesus does. He puts things together. He picks this weird team. And I want you to hear me. He doesn't pick the guys you'd expect. You know who Jesus picks? He picks a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of guys that are no names, nobodies. And he uses them as he brings them together in this weird team to change the world. Come on. What is God calling you to do? Like you, you may think you came here because somebody invited you. You may think that you came here because I just have to do church. You may think it was your choice to come here today. I want you to know that none of those things are true. You're here today because God wanted you here. 
You're here today because Jesus drew you here. You're here today because he called you up out of your bed. He called you into your car or out on the, and to put on your shoes. He called you here today. And the reason he called you here today is he wanted you to hear this. But he called you here today, just like he's called out to those guys. He called them by name. He's calling you by name. And he called you here today so that you could respond to him. To say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. See, there's some of you here that you need to say, yes, Lord. You know what? I've I've heard of Jesus, but Jesus doesn't know me. You need to know that's the most important thing. Does Jesus know who you are? Stand before the Lord. Matthew 7 tells us, many will say, Lord, I knew you, I did this, I did that. Away from me, I do not know you. See, he's calling some of you to receive the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the cleansing from guilt and condemnation that only Jesus can bring. He is the one who's calling you out of darkness and into the light. He's the one that has given you this opportunity today to say, yes, Lord. I say, yes, Lord. I need you, Jesus, to come into my life. I need you, Lord, to come and deliver me from myself, to come and to fit me in. I feel like an oddball, Lord. And today, I am so thankful that you choose oddballs there's some of you that today you need to say like those disciples they had a choice would they leave the come and see ministry and respond to a go and die ministry do you need Jesus today say yes Lord call upon his name He said, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call out to him and ask him to come into your heart, come into your life, and to come bless you with salvation, to come bless you with the gift of eternal life that's only found in Christ. Listen, you may think there's other ways. You may think that church membership or this or that, it has nothing to do with any of those things. Jesus said, I am the only way, I am the only life, and I am the only truth, and I am the only way to the Father. There is by no other name by which men shall be saved. If you're apart from Christ, you are apart from eternal life with him. And today he's offering you his hand and saying, come up here, just as you are. Do you need that today? Just bow your head and say, yes, Lord. Look, you know, it doesn't take me. It doesn't take some pat prayer that we have to say out of ritual. No, this is you saying, Lord, I need you. I can't do anything about my sin, but you can. And I trust that you will. So, Lord, I ask you to come into my heart. Come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. If that's you today, just bow your head right where you are. Say, yes, Lord. And then tell somebody. Whether you come tell me, tell the person sitting next to you, you tell somebody, I gave my heart to Jesus. Ashamed or bastard. He says, For those who are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father, which is in heaven. But I also believe that there's others of you that are called today, and God is speaking out your name, and He's calling you to get off the bench, to move off the sidelines, and to get into the game. 
He's calling you out of the come and see to the go and die. And for some of you today, it needs to be that day that you say, yes, 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 Lord. I will respond, and I will respond to you. Is that you today? bow your heads with me. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for the grace that you pour out, the mercy that you give, the plans that you have for us today, Lord. And I thank you that from the front to the back, from one side to the other, in every ear, every mind, in every heart, Lord, you are speaking today. I pray that you would help us to hear you. Give us, Lord God, ears to hear. Come on, just ask him right now. Lord, give me ears to hear. I want to know the truth. Because only the truth can set me free. I've lied to myself so many times that it's bound me up. Even in my religious, spiritual life, it's bound me up. Today, Lord God, I want the truth to come set me free. Jesus, you are the truth. And I want you to come into my heart, come into my life. I say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I will leave it all. I will step away from everything. I will say yes to the call that you have on my life. I will say yes, Lord God, to the grace that you give. I will say yes to the mercies that you renew. Set me on fire, Lord God. Let the fire in me be greater than the fire that's in our world. Help me today, Lord God, to do what you've called me to do. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I long for you. Jesus, fill me with your passion. Fill me with your heart. Come, Lord Jesus. Come move in me. Oh, God. Come move in me. Come move in me, Lord. Just tell him right now. Come on, he's changing your heart. Like him. Come on, lift up your hands and lift up your voices. Oh, just for you, he did that. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like
dismiss you here and, and uh, just one last illustration that I just really felt God laying on me. You know, we, we all we all clap together. Most of us clap together. <laughs> but it makes one noise. And every single one of your hands have an absolutely unique one of a kind, never before been, never again will be fingerprint. Each and every one of you have a unique in, in the, the hand that God created and gave you. Yet together, when we come together in all of that uniqueness, it's one noise, it's one blessing, it's one word, it's one noise before God. You are unique, you are a blessing, and you belong in the kingdom and in the body of Christ. God has a unique position, a unique place for you. Amen? God bless you. I love you. Don't forget, become a part of a life group. Just go find one. Stop trying to figure out which one's perfect and go find one that you can go be a part of. God bless you. Have a beautiful day today. Come on, let's sing this as we go. And if our God is for us, and if it ever stops us, and if our God is with us, then what can stay?